Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 is the, is the main verse. We'll read that here in just a moment. There'll be several other scriptures we'll hit at. We'll have them up here on the screen for you. Um, but I got to thinking this week as we prepare our hearts, and uh, later on in this service we're going to be ordaining uh, Mark Mills as, as a deacon into the church and um, to fill a role that in many capacities he, he feels in his everyday life and the things that he does and, and how he interacts with his church. But for to, to put that mantle upon him and, and, and let him know and let the church know and the community know this is a, a leader in our community, a leader in our church, a man that we see God moving and working in. We're thankful for him. And I begin to think about legacy. I begin to think about leading. You know, and, and many of us, when we as we grew up, we grew up dreaming of being a leader. You know, we could have dreamed of being on the sports team there with the, in the final seconds, shooting the three-point shot or, or scoring a touchdown or whatever it may be or hitting a home run. We, we dreamed of being a leader maybe on a professional sports team. We dreamed of being maybe a, a police person or a firefighter or, or a nurse or a doctor of some kind or maybe even some of us dreamed of being a president or some kind of some big thing like that. And, and we, we dreamed of being a leader. And many times, especially in the youth, we, we like the idea of holding that kind of position. It's interesting to us. It, it, it looks fancy. It looks nice. It, it, it's something that we desire for our lives. You know, there's different reasons we may want those positions and titles. Some may want the power. Some may want fame and money and fortune and things like that. Then there are still those that desire to have those positions to, to help others, to help others do better for themselves, to grow, to maybe to know Jesus, to help them overcome certain difficulties and, and want to be there for them. There's different reasons people want to be, be leaders. What we can be sure of is that whoever you are, whatever role you feel in your life right now, at some point in your life, you will be called upon to be a leader. You might not recognize it at the moment. You might not embrace it at the moment. But there will be times and seasons where you are called on to be a leader. Many of us currently are or have been or desire to one day be parents. That role in itself leads to a great benefit of being a leader. It, it's a great responsibility to be a leader as a parent. So maybe you're being called to be a leader in your work or in your community. You, you get a promotion. You get more responsibilities. You're overseeing certain people at work. Maybe in the community you're just that person people look to, that person that people respect. And you might not have wanted it, but you're a leader in your community. There's going to be times in your relationship that, that you're going to have to lead. Times that a husband has to lead the family. There's times that a, that a wife, maybe if the husband's sick or the husband's gone, has to, to lead the family and lead the children. We, we feel those roles. Maybe it's relationships with friends, people that we grew up with, brothers and sisters, different things like that. Relationships where we are called to be leaders at certain seasons, at different times. No matter what it is, we all will lead someone at some point in our lives if we want it to or not. You may have grew, grew up and, and you never wanted to be a leader. All the roles that you played, you wanted to be the person that didn't have the responsibility. You didn't want to pick teams. You didn't want to be the team captain. You wanted to just stay out of that mess. You didn't want to run for, for the, school, the, the high school president or your class president because you didn't want to have that role. You didn't want to have those roles. You didn't want to be the oldest. You wished you were born the last, so you weren't the oldest kid in your family. You never wanted to be a leader, but, but here you are, and eventually one day you'll face a situation where you are leading somebody. Leading somebody. 
Andy Stanley, he's he's pastor, Charles Stanley's son, if you didn't know that, pastor down in Atlanta, he he said this, and I really liked it. He said, your most significant leadership accomplishment may not be something that you do. It may not be some great task that you accomplish. It may not be some great obstacle that you overcome. It may not be something that you lead your family or your church or anybody through. It may not be something that you do, but someone that you raise up underneath you, whether it be a child or somebody that you're mentoring or just somebody that's watching you. Today we're going to discuss how we can lead our lives in such a way that we can leave a legacy a legacy of godly leadership and love to those around us and one that will have eternal benefits for those that are around us as well. And that's where the scripture in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30 comes in. It says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Just understand this scripture. Let's let's break it down real quick. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. What's inside a fruit? A seed. So a tree has to have a seed before it becomes a tree. Right? Okay. Basically what it's saying, that the fruit of the righteous, your fruit just isn't, isn't just fruit that somebody partakes of and enjoys and forgets about. The fruit that the righteous has falls from its tree and it goes to the ground and it plants itself in somebody else's life and it brings forth a tree that begins to produce more fruit. It produces a legacy, a legacy that goes on and on and on and continues to help people long after we have have left this world, left this this life. We all know people in our life that have left a a lasting legacy, right? We're going to be ordaining Mark today, and my mind goes back to one of our other previous deacons, and boom, leaves a... A lasting legacy. I think of Sam. I didn't get to know him very well. He didn't get to serve with him in the church. It was before my time. But the testimony that he left is out of a, a lasting legacy. Long after they're gone, they're, the, the things that they did, the life that they lived, the impact that they had is still present. Still growing. Still producing fruit. Even though their tree may have already fallen, the fruit that they produced is still producing more seeds and more trees and more fruits along down the line. But there's some things that we must have, that we must embrace, that we must, characteristics that we must take in and live out in our lives if we are to have that lead, that kind of life of legacy. Okay? We're going to go over those. We're going to keep you as quick as possible um, because we don't want to keep you too long. But we're thankful as we go into this that we all can be leaders in life that can be a, that leave a legacy. That doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. It doesn't mean you have to be a deacon. You can be a lay member that doesn't hardly ever you know, speak up much in the church, that you just do what God has called you to do, and you can leave a lasting legacy. You can be a leader to somebody that's watching you. So this doesn't matter. If you don't, if you know I'm never going to be a deacon, I'm never going to be a pastor, I'll never be a teacher, this ever isn't for me, this is for each and every one of us. It's like I said, you will lead somebody. You will lead somebody. Okay? First thing we must have is intentionality. Okay? Intentionality. What does that mean? Well, here's we're going to break it down. It says, believe it or not, God and godly leadership, good godly leadership doesn't just happen at the snap of your finger by asking. I didn't come in this morning to pastor our church to, to lead in the ways that I feel like I need to lead, to give the sermon that I feel like God needed me to give, 
just because I got struck by lightning as I walked into the into the church this morning. It ain't like I come in and it's morphing time and I go from regular old Jacob into into Pastor Jacob and things just you know I get all nice and did up and everything like that and the words just come to mind. That's not how it works. There's sometimes God just speaks through you clearly and evidently, but more often than not, it just doesn't happen, right? It takes some intentionality. You have to be intentional about doing the things that God desires for you to do. Jesus himself did this. Luke 19, verse 10 says this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. All right. You read that verse. Does that seem coincidental? Does that seem like it happened randomly? It says, he has come. That signals to me that there was intention. There was a purpose behind his his coming. Because it doesn't say, for the Son of Man came just to see how things went. The Son of Man came and just going to let it come to him in its time and whenever it wants. He came with purpose and intentionality. We often live our lives with a very cautious approach to things. Well, it'll happen when it happens. Or I'll, when it moves in me, I'll move with it. Or, or we'll just see how things go in, in time. But Jesus says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. There's not very much of an optional part to that, is there? There was clear intention, motive, and purpose in Jesus Christ coming to this to this earth. We need to live with that same level of intention when it comes to the matters of God in our own life. So I'll ask a question. I want to ask you to raise your hand because this is an embarrassing question. All right, I ask some embarrassing questions sometimes. I don't ask you to raise your hand because I want you to come back to church. right? I don't want you to be scared and feel like I'm going to make you put me in an awkward position. I'm not going to do that. This is a simple question. How many of you had a conversation with somebody besides yourself this week? I'm including your husband, wife, children, okay? I'm not saying outside the house. You talked to somebody this week. No, you're not raising your hands. Either you're all a bunch of introverts that don't go nowhere. Put them up, shake them around, praise the Lord, right? Okay. Everybody talked to somebody. Maybe some of us even talked to two people. We really got out of our shells this week, and we talked two, three, maybe four people. We were, and we had to go home and take a nap because we were just drained emotionally after all that, right? So you have these conversations, right? I want to give you some different topics that we oftentimes have conversations about. And in your mind, this is the part I'm not going to ask you to give you know, out vocally. In your mind, I want you to rank which one of these topics did you talk about the most in your conversations, okay? So rank them. I'm going to say them clearly and begin to rank them, okay? We talk about the weather, don't we? Talk about the weather. Oh, it's been rainy. Oh, it's been sunny. We've not had much rain this this year. We've not had as much rain this summer. It's been a dry summer, hasn't it? Been kind of dry, been kind of kind of icky. Not had a lot of rain, but then we get a bunch of rain. You know, we, we talk about Kentucky. That, they had a bunch of rain. Maybe we talk about politics. Local politics coming around. Maybe we're talking about that person cutting the signs up outside and the fall and everything. Maybe we're talking about bigwig politics. We talk about politics sometimes. Sometimes we might not want. To. We might not say it out loud right here. But we talk about other people sometimes. I don't know about you. Sometimes we do. Or we can talk about Jesus. Okay? So, the weather, politics, other people, and Jesus. There's other things we talk about, you know. Let's think about those four things. Rank them. Which one did you talk about the most this week? 
Which one were you most intentional about talking about this week? Now, obviously, the answer that we want to give is that we talked the most about Jesus this week. That's the, that should be our desire, is that the majority of our conversations consistent and centered around Jesus. What he, did, what he does, what he's doing, who he is, how much he loves us, how good he's been to us, the things that he's done, Scripture, Bible, things we've learned, church, what we're learning in church, things like that. Obviously, that should be our desire, but the reality is, once again, I'm not going to ask you to give your answers, but most of us talking about Jesus wasn't at the top of our list. I'm not even in second. Or third. It might have ranked beneath some of the things I didn't even mention. But we should be intentional each and every day with the conversations that we have. You see, we, we do have conversations. Each and every one of you has a conversation with somebody this week. Somebody. One person at least. And those conversations, a lot of times, depends on what we decide to say. We have the ability to say things. Did you know that? I know your spouse knows that, but did you know that? We have the ability to say any and everything that we want to say. We live in a free country, Lord, and we're thankful for that. We have that benefit and that freedom. But how often are we intentional about speaking and talking and conversing about God and Jesus and the divine things of, of creation and, and everything that God is, of Scripture, of the, of the church, and those things. How often are we intentional on those matters? So if we are to lead a, uh, lead a life of legacy, where people think, remember us, not necessarily us, but what we have done, the lives we have lived, the things that we have said, then it starts with being intentional about how we handle the things the things of God, the conversations that we have, who we go, who we're around, what we do, the time that we spend in doing certain things, we must be intentional. And that intentionality must point towards God. We're intentional about a lot of things. So I know you can be intentional, but we must be intentional about, about God. Secondly, humility, right? To lead in such a way that, that leaves a godly legacy, it also requires a good portion of, of humility. And that's what Matthew 23, 12 tells us. It says, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We talked about before. A lot of times we think humility means that I have to put myself down. I have to to negate myself. I have to to you know basically realize or say that I'm not worth anything. That's not humility. Humility is just putting God first, thinking of God first, and putting others first. Right? That's that's humility. Doesn't mean that you're saying bad things about yourself or that you think less of yourself. It's just you think of yourself less. Right? There's the difference there. But I didn't go to high school. Okay? I was homeschooled. I don't think I'm the weird kind of homeschooled. I think I'm a pretty healthy homeschooled person, right? I was Val Victoria in my graduating class. Tara doesn't think that's as funny as, as I do. Um, but I love that, that part. I think it's hilarious. Um, okay, sorry. But most of you probably went to high school. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe you dropped out before. That's okay, too. But we all probably... You'll think back with me for a moment, reminisce, go back through the ages. Some of you have to go back farther than others, but think about the age in your life and 
Maybe you remember somebody in your, your school or in your class. Or maybe it's work too. Maybe it works out. That was a braggart, right? They always had to talk about what it was they'd done, what it was that they'd had. Everybody had to know what so-and-so was driving or wearing or where they'd been or who they talked to, the people that name drop and all these things, you know. Or sometimes there's that, pe- that person who knows everything. Don't matter what conversation you have, they're already an expert on it. Facebook has multiplied this amount of people that, that are, that are know-it-alls. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Everybody's a doctor and a philosopher and a theologian now because they have Facebook, right? Um, so think about back, that, back about that person. Maybe in, in school that person was kind of cool. Maybe they were popular because, oh, look at all they have. Look at what they've done. But now, as we've matured some, you may look back and, and those characteristics that those certain people may have had might not be as desirable were as cool now as an adult that it may have been in high school, right? You may even say that these these characteristics that these people have can get to a point where it makes it hard to even work with them, be around them, interact with them, and even to the point sometimes where the words that they say and the things that they do, they, they just lack the significance and the importance than maybe what somebody else may do. That's basically what this scripture is is telling us. It's saying, you know, whoever exalts himself, whoever's going to be the one that's talking about what they've done and what they have and how good of a person they are and all these things, they're going to be humble. They're not going to have an impact, as great an impact on your life. They're not going to have a greatest impact on the world around them because of that characteristic that they have. But it's those that that humble themselves, those are the ones that are exalted. Those are the ones that create a legacy. Those are the ones that are remembered for what they did and they have a lasting impact a lasting impact see when we we serve we sacrifice or we we love those around us when we can do that without having everybody to know about what we've done when we can do that and just let god be the the bearer of the good news and do what he needs to do and we don't have to be involved in it after we've done what god's commanded us to do that we don't have to go put our head or our nose or say something about it when we can just say god i want to do what you call me to do and you i want to let you be the one that receives all the glory for that that begins to instill that lasting legacy because scripture tells us in one place and, and, and I, I forget off the top of my head but basically it says this if you've done all this good and you talk about it here, then you've already received your reward. But it's he that that does what God desires him to do and then takes that step back and says, let God have the glory. That's the humility that it requires to to lead a life that provides and has a fruit of a great legacy long after we're gone. We must have that level of humility. We also have to have integrity. Okay, I've often heard integrity described as this. It's what you do when no one's looking. I didn't know if you know this, but we as humans can be fooled pretty easy, at least for a short short amount of time, right? You read it in the papers, or if you get the paper, or your Facebook, or different things like that. You see it on the news. Of where somebody came into a situation, and they seemed good, and they seemed like they, they had good intentions, but their their whole the thing that they had going on behind the scenes where nobody else could see was that they were trying to, to take advantage of a situation, or of a person, or a family, or whatever it may be. And, and eventually, their true motives came out, sometimes too late, sometimes after they'd already done the, the bad or the evil thing, and that, that people didn't realize it until that point. And we as as Christians, 
people people who come to church can can fall into that same place where we come to church, we we lead good, we look like we lead good lives. You know, we come into church and we we do what we're supposed to. Maybe we sing songs, or or maybe we might even volunteer in certain capacities. We might we we, we make sure we give our tithes every every week or whatever it may be. We we do the things that we're supposed to do. But then we go home, and then the rest of the week, the life that we live really speaks to this the this idea that what you said on Sunday doesn't matter to you the rest of of the week. That you only want to do good when somebody's watching. That you only want to do what God is what God has called Christians to do. You only want to look like and act like a Christian when it's evident that people can can see you. But when you go into your home or you go behind closed doors, then that integrity isn't as solid as some people may think of you. Um, I experienced this this kind of this idea firsthand in, in seeing Robbie Zacharias. I know I mentioned him before, but I feel like it's a great example, a great warning to, to fellow Christians of what can happen if we fail to have integrity within our life, what can happen to our, uh, our lives, what can happen to our legacy. Ravi Zacharias is what we call an apologist. He is somebody who defends the gospel. He goes through and uses the Hebrew and all the other languages, the historical uh, time periods, the literary styles, all that things to put together a case of why what is written in Scripture is is infallible, is true, is it's it's concrete that there's historical evidence to back it up. It's what we call an apologist, an apologetics. Okay, he's a great man. Throughout his life, I love listening to him speak. I loved loved reading some of the things that he wrote. I mean, he was just a great great apologist. He traveled the world. One of the most most well known people who spoke about the scripture, spoke about the gospel, spoke about God in, in our lifetime. Right? I mean, in certain circles, he was the Billy Graham. I mean, that was the level of the impact he had in his life. He had a ministry that, that went all over the globe, that went to third world countries, did all these things, teaching people to, to apologetics, to understand the scripture, to defend the scripture, talk about all these things. Set up to have a legacy that, that lasted until probably Christ came, right? And he gets later on in his life, and, uh, and things begin to come out. And accusations begin to made of sexual immorality and, and, and taking advantage of young women using his position of power as a, as a minister, as an apologist, to, to take advantage of women, make them feel pressured into doing things. And not only were the accusations, but proof can come out. And, and ultimately, you know, for most people that, that followed him, his legacy is tarnished by that. His legacy of what he'd done and the and the life that, that he had supposedly lived, that what it looked like he'd lived, all the even though the, all the words he said are no doubt still true, all all the things that he spoke are still true. The scripture that he defended is still accurate. It puts a stain on it, but people were looking at the integrity that he lacked in his life. And I want you to think just for a moment how much it degraded and destroyed his legacy. And how it's hindered the reputation of God to, no no doubt, thousands if not millions of people. And if this man that says all this lacks this integrity and behind closed doors does these things, then what does that say about God? What does that say about Scripture? What does that say about Christianity as a whole? And it's not just Robert Zacharias. We see it all the time. You know, sometimes sexual immorality, sometimes it's people in fraud and doing things, you know, financially that they shouldn't within the church and things like that. All kinds of these things were it pulls into question the integrity of these people. And then that question of integrity begins to make them question everything else that that person has said. 
Well, they said we should be faithful to our wives, but he's not faithful to his wife, so should I even worry about coming to church? Is, should I even worry about paying? Should, should I even wonder if, if Jesus is even real? If, if this lacked integrity and truth, then what about these other things that he's said? And that's what the enemy wants you to do, wants to get you to a place, because it just isn't you that's offended, it's everybody else around you that's infected when your integrity falls. So if we are to leave, a, uh, leave this legacy, lead a life that has this great legacy that comes after us, once we're dead and gone, and it continues to bear fruit, and continues to have other trees pop up, and other people be impacted long after we're gone, our children are gone, we must have integrity. We must have integrity and live the life that we say that we are living in front of everybody. Live that same life behind closed doors. Live that same life when when nobody's watching. But this one is probably the, the hardest for me, more often than not. And that's consistency. All right? I struggle with it. I struggle with, with the consistency in life, with the busyness, with the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the, the, the shifting of the wind. Sometimes I struggle with, with the consistency. But Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's consistency. The same forever. There is nothing at creation... That is the same today besides God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Right? That's unchanged. That's been unmoved. But everything else, everything else, water has, has worn down rocks and wind has, has, has blown down trees and everything has changed besides Jesus Christ, His Father and the Holy Spirit. That consistency. He is consistent, the same forever, and I can't sometimes get a habit going for a week. Right? I start off on Monday, and I do good on Monday, and then I go Tuesday, and I, I do it a little bit later than I was supposed to, but I still do it, and then I come on Wednesday, and it's like, oh, it's into the day. It's like, oh, I forgot to do that. So I do it at, at the night right before, I, before I, I go to sleep and everything. And then my Thursday, it's like, what was I doing? And then by Friday, I'm like, oh, no, uh, it's two days. And then my Sunday, it's like, what happened, right? It's gone. That consistency is lacking in our lives. But see, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's not easy to be consistent. Like we spoke last week when we were talking about perseverance, that, the, that Satan doesn't want you to persevere to the end of things. He doesn't want you to be consistent in things either. Because he knows if you're consistent in the things of God, that you're going to grow. That you're going to mature. You're going to become a better Christian. You're going to become a better husband or wife. You're going to become a better, better parent. You're going to become a, a better member of your church, a better member of your community. You're going to become a better worker. You're going to become a better person in general if you're consistent with the things of God. And worse even for Satan is somebody might follow your example. You might lead somebody else to do it. And somebody else to do it. And they might lead somebody else to take up that habit and do those things of God. He doesn't want you to be consistent. So the same things that he'll use to keep you from persevering, he'll use to keep you from being consistent. Send the business. Send all the problems. Send all the craziness in life. Send all the, the illnesses and the sickness and the things that we didn't expect and the things we didn't want and the things that pop up out of nowhere. He'll send all of those so that you will stop and not be consistent in the things of God. Because it's through consistency that we grow. It's through consistency that we develop. It's through consistency that we mature. If you put a plant out and it gets one day of sun every year, it's not going to grow. It needs sunlight and water consistently. Consistently. And we too 
must be consistent. And here's here's something even of, of great importance that we oftentimes we might just kind of write over. And I read this as I was studying about consistency and inconsistency and stuff. I read this in a parenting article. I forget the name of the website that I read it from. If you want to know that, I'll give it to you. It says, um, talks about the importance of consistency in the lives of children. So this is what it says, okay? Inconsistency can be confusing for children. If one day their parent tells them one thing is important to do, you tell them one day it's important to brush your teeth. It's important to wash your hands. It's important to get up and put your clothes on so you can go outside and not get arrested for stuff. You know, it's important to don't take your diaper off. It's important to leave your diaper on. Don't don't do that. Don't touch the fire. Don't. It's important not to do that. It's important to go to church. It's important to read your Bible. One day you tell them those things are important, and then the next day, you know, goes on, and then that thing is no longer important. Well, one day. Brush your teeth. The next day, we don't got time for it. Let's just go on. That creates confusion in the child's life. Well, how important is it then? It's important to go to church, little Billy. Oh, you don't have a Billy, do we? Oh, you have a Billy, but you know. I'll use it. Little Billy. It's important to go to church, little Billy. And then, well, not this Sunday because we got other things going on, little Billy. And then not next Sunday because there's something I want to do, little Billy. And not next Sunday, because you're just a heathen, little Billy, and I don't want to take you out in front of people, little Billy. I'm, you're a good person, Billy. I'm not saying that. I don't know. Maybe Gene's saying testify. I don't know. Um, but when we create that inconsistency in what we're communicating with our children, then these are the things that this article says that begins to create in them. The child learns that the adult's response is they're not predictable, that they can't count on their caregivers, rules and expectations, their priorities, what's important. This can cause aggression, hostility, hostility, complacency, confusion, unruliness, and passivity. Okay? Complacency, passivity, confusion, those are the ones that you know really you know, st- stuck out to me. Is that if, if we're inconsistent, then our children are going to be complacent. They're not going to care one way or the other about certain things. They're going to be very passive about it. They don't have any kind of strong emotional attachment or connection or belief in something, so they're just they're just passive. They're just confused. What am I supposed to do? What, who am I supposed to be? What is supposed to be important to me? Mom and Daddy, they said this one week, they said this next week, and they said another thing this other week. What am I supposed to believe? And that inconsistency begins to degradate that child's understanding of, you can talk about like regular everyday things like brushing your teeth or combing your hair, taking a bath. We can talk about spiritual things, though. And it degradates their understanding of what it means to be a Christian or what's important about being a Christian, what God desires from us, what it means to be a responsible Christian, what it means to live a life that's pleasing to God. And they're confused because what does that mean? Because mommy and daddy said they're a Christian, so... That's where they're going to get their understanding of what it means to be a Christian. But then that un- that the life that they lived was inconsistent. And guess what? That child's not going to. They're going to base their understanding on Christianity upon the parents' lives. And if we're inconsistent in that fashion, in that form, in that relationship, then we set up our children to be confused about all kinds of things, and mostly about their relationship with God and what it means to be a man or a woman that God desires for you. Be. Becoming consistent 
and leading our families and leading those around us and leading a life in a godly manner is so important. I, I can't I can't say enough words to to help you understand how important that is. Because without consistency, what legacy are we leaving? What will people know we cared about or stood for if we are constantly shifting with everything that comes our way? To have a legacy that people remember, you have to have consistency so that every time they saw you, they saw you do this. And every time they sat with you, they saw you do this. And every time that your, your child saw you wake up in the morning, one thing that I remember in my life more than anything about my dad, my dad got up crack of dawn to go to work. But I remember I'd wake up sometimes, go to the bathroom. I still go to the bathroom three or four times a night. If that's a problem, tell me because I'm not sure or not. But, you know, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd go to the bathroom, and there'd be my dad, usually in the living room with his work clothes on and work boots on, and he'd be reading the Bible, or sometimes I'd catch him, he'd be on his knees praying. Consistently, every morning. If I woke up and he was still at the house, if either if, he, if he'd already got ready, that's what, that's what he's doing. He's either praying or reading the Bible, or, you know, those things go together a lot of times. With consistency. He was consistent in that. And that sits with me. Still today. I can still see it. I can still see the, sing, see the single wide trailer that had the old shake, not sh- that shaggy kind of uh, the carpet and everything that things used to have. And, and we had paneling up halfway up the wall because Dad put paneling on everything. It didn't matter. I think he had paneling on the car. He had paneling on the walls. He had paneling on his, on his clothes. Paneling everywhere, right? I remember that. I can go back to that moment because he was consistent with it. I saw it time and time and time again. And there was no question in my mind. Does my dad study the Bible? Does my dad talk to Jesus? Because I saw it consistently. And that's that's the legacy. That's the legacy part of it. Is that they see it consistently. No doubt in their mind. This is who this person is. Because every time I've seen them, no matter what day it was, no matter what situation it was in, this is who they were consistently. I'm not saying we're perfect every day. We fall, we come short, we make mistakes. And sometimes people catch us in a bad day. It happens. That's the reality. But it should be our desire to be more consistent in these things. In the things of God that he desires for us to to do. But we should leave a legacy. I don't know when God's coming back. You know, we, 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 I, my generation's heard it and your generation's heard it. God's getting closer and he is. He's getting closer each and every day. The Bible also tells us that no man, woman, boy, or girl knows the day nor the hour. Not even Jesus Christ himself. It's only up to God the Father of when he will return. We don't know it. It could be another generation or two. You know, Harvard could grow up and have children, have grandchildren, great-grandchildren. I don't know. But all I can do is, is do my best to leave a legacy. That no matter how much long, how much longer time goes on, then my tree, my, I've already fallen, but the seed from it is continuing to bear fruit. And that lives are still being impacted 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 years after I'm gone, if God, if God holds time back. And that should be our desire. You might think, well, I'm too old to start a legacy. No, you're not. You might say, I'm too young to start a legacy. No, you're not. It's never too late. It's never too early. It's like investing in life insurance is what they tell you. I don't know. But no, it's, that's reality. It's never too late and it's never too early to start investing in your legacy. To start building that legacy. Leading a life that has a legacy that goes on and on and on. Okay? 
When we look at many of us, we look at, at, at Gilbert, or, or deacons, we look at Mark and, and the lives they live, and the legacy that they've left behind. We look at others that we've talked about, others that we've lost to different things, the legacy that they've left behind. We too can build and have that same legacy. We should be our desire to have that same legacy, that we continue to long after we're gone, bear fruit of souls being saved. We might not have said a word to that person. We not have, they might have been born after we were gone. But the life that we lived created fruit that blossomed within them. Amen. So that's, that's, that's the word of God that's been given to us.